I mean, I think we owe him. <laughs> I think yeah. that's how VRS works. <laughs> you owe us. You owe us for popularizing your little ditty. Is that how that works? That's how yeah. it works. Mm-hmm. That's how it works. You owe us royalties, Chicino, not the other way around. I'd just like to also say I am not Michael Chicino's lawyer, just in case his lawyers are listening. <laughs> Thanks. Do you know what that made me really want? A version of the Marvel fanfare sung by the Muppets Chickens. <laughs> we can do it next week yeah. <laughs> I can't go that high Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt And welcome to the latest Empire Podcast Spoiler special dedicated to WandaVision Oh yes This week we're delving deep into episode 3 Of the frankly fucking bonkers MCU show Following the adventures of Wanda Maximoff And her dead android husband Mr. Vision And a cracking episode it is too in my humble opinion, as we get more of a hint. What's that? Synthesoid. 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 Uh, I can say Android, I can't say (laughs) Synthesoid. As we get more of a hint of what might be happening to Wanda's mind, and we meet the twins. No, not Fission synthetic balls, but Tommy and Billy, their kids. But before we go into full recap mode, time to meet the three Hydra Soaks of such lethal cunning. He will be discussing his episode with me because together one plus one and another one is more than two. It's Helen O'Hara. Okay. I mean, I really object to both parts of being called hydro soak. I don't even drink, as you know. Um, and uh, and one plus one plus one would be more than one, Chris. So it yes. would be more than two, Chris. So that was correct, at least. It was correct, yeah. If it, even if it doesn't reflect how many people yeah. are in this podcast. Hell Hydra, Helen. Hell Hydra. Boo to Hydra. Uh, yeah, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> what? <laughs> Silly me. Uh, we're also joined, of course, by contractual demand, James Dyer. Hello, Chris. It's good to be here. It is good to have you here, he said, reading off the script. <laughs> <laughs> and we're joined once again by, is it Billy or Tommy? I don't know. He's just so gosh darn young and naive. It's Ben Travis. You can call me whatever you want. I'm just excited to be here. Tommy <laughs> is my dad's name. Oh, sweet. William right. was his middle name. <gasps> so, and how did he wrong uh, Wanda? If this is all her trauma coming back to haunt her, <laughs> why, why is she linking that to to your dad's names? He was a Northern Irishman of a certain age. He wasn't very tolerant of magic. <laughs> Figures. Don't with this sort of thing. Ulster says no to magic. Anyway, now the recap. Finding themselves now in a 1970s suburban sitcom complete with catchy theme tune, natty jackets and a Brady Bunch style house, Wanda and Vision have called the Doctor, who confirms what we all knew at the end of last week's episode. Wanda is pregnant and only getting more pregnanter by the second. That is a technical term. Vision's usual enthusiasm is somewhat jolted and he begins to notice that something doesn't seem right about this idyllic world in which they find themselves. At which point, reality seems to be reset again by Wanda? We'll see. 
As Wanda goes into labour, she is visited by their new friend, Geraldine, who helps Wanda give birth to Tommy and Billy. Twins! Oh my god, twins. And afterwards, whilst Vision is having a disquieting conversation outside his house with, frankly, weirdo neighbours, Herb and Agnes, and it's Herb, not Herb, Wanda recalls that she was also a twin and that her brother, now dead, was called Pietro. Geraldine mentions that he was killed by Ultron, and before you know it, she's been hurled out of what looks like some sort of force field containment system into the quote-unquote real world. Now that, folks, is how you hang a cliff. Blimey. Mm. Where to start with this episode? Jimbo, I think you hit the nail on the head last week when you said that this was a thriller in sitcoms clothes, and the last five minutes in particular is Mm. absolutely indicative of that. It feels like this is the start of the show for me, which is why I think it's strange that they only put out the first two last week and they didn't put out all three, because I think it's only when, and we mentioned this last week, it's only when you get to the end of this one that you really have a handle, or at least the beginnings, the edge. Where is the handle? Just the tip of a handle. (laughs) Never say handle in an MCU podcast. Episode three. (laughs) (laughs) The handle is in episode three. The beginning of the handle is in episode three. So I think we're finally getting to grips with maybe possibly what this is, as a show mm-hmm. uh, and so yeah so I, I i'm hoping people have who didn't maybe love episodes one and two have hung on for episode three because uh, this should have piqued their interest more i i didn't feel like it was water tready or sort of you know staying in one spot mm. really at all not least because she actively gives birth uh, to oh, presumably yeah. two new characters which seems like a fairly big you know, water breaky <laughs> rather than water tready. Water breaky rather than water tready. Yes, well done, James. Um, water joke. <laughs> but uh, and and I think it's the first time that you get a sense of, um, or maybe you get a better sense of how the neighbors are involved. How it may not be something that they're entirely comfortable with, whatever world this is, and there's a sense of fear of something or someone. And the strain that that's putting on people, which may be causing them to, I don't know, you know, saw through walls or something. (laughs) Yeah. I I think they're doing a really good job so far. I think they've got a really great balance of um, teasing out the mystery stuff, giving you just enough, giving you tantalizing hints. Mm. There's a Mm. bit of a sense of escalation in this episode, but I think it's kind of at a similar pace as the first two. And for me, the sitcom-y stuff is less things you need to wade through to get to the main event than than the substance of the show so far. It's really establishing their relationship and there are so many lines along the way through the sitcom stuff that are so soaked in double meanings of of really kind Mm. of sinister and and sad double meanings that I think it's laying a lot of groundwork in a really entertaining way while also giving you enough of the bigger picture that you know that there's a promise Mm. of something bigger coming. And and yeah, the last couple Mm. of minutes of this episode obviously starts to reveal more of that bigger picture but also the final five minutes was it was so tense i found myself actually really kind of caught up in it and um Mm. there's this really really uneasy sense as you can tell wanda really is coming to terms with the fact that something's very wrong and vision is as well um so i can't wait Mm. to see where it goes next because the yeah. mask slips three times, really, in this mm. episode, where it's only been sort of hinted at sort of once an episode, really, until this point. Uh, you have that sort of early on moment where Vision thinks something's wrong and she kind of resets him. And kind of so, which and which again, we talked about this a little bit before. Like, what is vision? Is he actual vision in this simulation? Is he her imagination of, vi- of vision? And he seems to be 
slightly like she's she's able to control him to extent, but he does seem to have like a will of his own. So he, I yeah. feel like yeah. it's actual vision in some form rather than her imagining of him. He has agency. There's there's no yes. question about that. And I think I think free will is a big preoccupation of this show in terms of the other characters. Like who, what, what are they? Yeah. Uh, you know, do are, do they have control over their own destinies and their own actions? Sometimes yes, and sometimes no. In this episode alone, mm. Vision actually felt less like a separate character to me this this time in a weird way because it felt more like he was Wanda's rational side trying to get through to her, maybe, and and trying mm-hmm. to puncture this reality and trying to challenge this reality. And that has been the case before, and when she kind of rewind him before. He's the one who's poking holes around the edges. Even mm-hmm. in the first episode, he was the one asking what this company actually does. What are we actually doing here? He's the one questioning the reality. And I wonder if that, if that is sort of her rational brain trying mm-hmm. to alert the rest of her yeah. brain, maybe that, hey, kiddo. Because <laughs> every time that happens, she either resets reality or mm-hmm. someone else resets reality. Yeah. I think it's her. <laughs> Or something happens to distract him from, or someone from noticing that it's you know the real you know that something is is askew here. And in this episode, I think Wanda, you know, we see that she's finding it really hard, even in this idyllic reality. If she has constructed this for herself, that she still is fragile and can't control her powers, and her powers erupt consciously and unconsciously in this episode, mm. Uh, mm. which I think is really interesting. Whether it's the Portraits in the wall yes, spinning, spinning around as she's giving mm. birth, and you know the sink exploding with with suds, uh, and then consciously hurling Geraldine into what seems like the real MCU world mm. uh, yeah. at the end. If Vision is sort of real-ish, if that is his real consciousness, if say his body is plugged in somewhere, um, and and he is actively participating in this reality and not in control of it, that that makes it doubly sad because we know there's going to come mm-hmm. a point where Wanda realizes for real that this isn't real and that this isn't her life. But that means that's going to be the case for Vision as well. And that's that's doubly upsetting that he's going to have to come to terms with his own death and that he's not going to have a life with Wanda or these kids. I really love the way that it's blending this kind of really bright, wacky, colourful stuff, but the undercurrent of it is is really quite mm. melancholic and um, there's a lot of emotional depth to it. There's so many great films and TV shows, obviously, that tackle the sort of the unsettling horrors underneath the surface of suburban America. And, you know, David Lynch has done this an awful lot as well. And I'm getting, there's a, there's a big, it's not as outright weird or cookie uh, although it's very, very deeply weird, but it's not the same show as Twin Peaks, but it does remind me of that as well, which is, you know, you have the idyllic surface and then underneath everyone is paddling furiously and trying desperately to cover up all sorts of, you know, horrific activity. So there's a lot of that. There's a little bit of blue velvet as well. And the, in the idea that, you know, the white picket fences are hiding some sort of festering nonsense. It's also not as simple as she's created this reality and there's an external force. Like you get the impression that so Geraldine is obviously something external. Monica Rambeau obviously is who she is. But um, <laughs> <laughs> let's be honest, we know that already. Uh, but it's clear that the neighbours are suspicious of that. And you've got to wonder, are mm. they themselves, for example, people who have been swept up in this illusion because they're distrustful of her and they're trying to warn Vision about her? Or are they almost layers of her, of Wanda's subconscious who are detecting that something's 
wrong, like almost like yeah. an intrusion countermeasure, trying to flag up that something's not right. Like it's it's there's so much going on here you can't work out. With the David Lynch parallels, I would love it if we got Kevin Feige uh, campaigning for Elizabeth Olsen to get an Emmy nomination <laughs> by sitting on the side of the road with a big sign and a cow. <laughs> if we can have that, I'd be very happy. Yeah. I mean, we haven't seen a cow in the show so far, but I don't see any reason why not. I think that's a that's a yeah. fantastic idea. Yeah, yeah. we have had a stork. We saw a stork. Yes. Yeah. Stork. Yes, he could sit there with a stork. <laughs> that's a great idea. I love it. I love that there's a comedy stork. The, the the comedy stork was funny. I thought the the timing of the comedy stork was really well, really well done. I thought I liked that she couldn't get rid of it. That something uh, about the stork resisted her attempts to uh, rule it. Love the stork. Best supporting stork at next year's <laughs> Emmys. The stork was really interesting as well because it's a classic sitcom setup. You know, there's so many things in this episode that are a classic sitcom setup. You know, the you know the people get aggravated about the imminent uh, you know birth of some kids, and you know you got all that sitcom stuff. And Bethany in particular is playing it for for real shits and giggles, and he's mugging for all he's worth. You know, and then you also have you know the idea of trying to hide something from a neighbor because you're a bit embarrassed about them discovering it. But it's all underneath the surface as well. There's something that Bonda is ashamed of, I think, uh, that she's embarrassed by, that she doesn't want. Is it is it something to do with her past? Is it something to do with how she's reacted to Vision's death? That maybe she's built all this up as a result? Is she, you know, we talked about this a little bit last week. Is she manufacturing the ideal life for herself with her husband in the suburbs with two kids, picket fence, garden, green grass, the whole kit and caboodle. I mean, when she's trying to hide the stork, she's also trying to hide her pregnancy. So that would feel like a pretty obvious parallel. Mm-hmm. The, the whole time that the stork's there is literally she's holding fruit balls in front of herself and everything else. But but yeah, I mean, th- this this is the central question of the show so far. How much of it is Wanda in control and you know, acting out her fantasies and how much is something else going on, whether it's an outside force or an inside force and, and to what degree the two are shared, I guess. Um, but it definitely does seem like the fantasy is kind of fracturing under pressure and that it does not react well to outsiders. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's interesting about Chris was saying. I think it does a really good job of subtly layering these things in, that it's a fun, sitcom-y, wacky setup that her powers are going out of control and people are going to notice. But at the same time, when the contractions kick in, when she's not able to control those powers, it shows that she is not fully in control. I love that there are all these dual meanings to things, and often one of those meanings is wrapped up in the sitcominess, but it's also pointing at what is going on in Wanda's emotional place. and Yeah. That, like you said, it's it's these extra bits of added pressure. To an extent, she can keep this facade going. She can keep up those pretenses. But as soon as there is an extra layer of pressure, it all starts to crumble and fall around, uh, fall apart around her. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. There was a number of things uh, that within that that I noticed. So when Wanda brings the butterflies to life, so even in this, she's bringing things to life. She's managing to conjure life out of thin air. The butterflies, the stork her twins, for the love of God. Um, And when she creates a butterfly, she goes, did I do that? Didn't mean Mm. to. But she literally used the word fluttering just a second before as she she was talking about the um, kicks, you know. So there's there's always a connection to something that she can see or Mm. experience in the world of the show that triggers this thing. I mean, you know, the sprinkler's going off when her water breaks. They're always connected Mm. to something within her at the same Mm. time. I thought it was such a lovely way of of doing that. I was mm. thinking at some point this is a Marvel show still, and you know we we can't have any icky stuff going on here. But uh, how are they going to do that? And how are they going to visualize the water breaking? I thought it was really lovely <laughs> the way they did that. That child did not look a day old, but you know, we'll <laughs> <No>. know. 
I, I do like the fact that those two, that Billy and Tommy, are canonically the children of Wanda Correct. and Vision. It's, mm. it's Wiccan and Speed, isn't it? One of them gets Pietro's powers and the other one gets her powers. Yes, real imagination used there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, at, le- at least uh, when, in, in the comics where they live to grow up, yes. Yeah. yes. Aren't they supposed to be like, in, like, in the comics, aren't they like part of Mephisto? Like they're, they're tied into yeah. the whole devil mythology as well, yeah. which I'm assuming will not be playing a part Although, in this. But God, I hope Mephisto not. keeps popping up. Like he, that we had yeah. that, there's a, something to do with him in the Loki trailer. I feel like he was mentioned or came up somehow in the last couple of episodes as well. Well, there's that line we, we talked about last week, which is... The d- that's not the only the place the, the devil... details, yeah. and, yeah, mm-hmm. and um, is it Agnes says that's not the only place he is. So I, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know that they're going to... So Mephisto is kind of the Marvel Comics version of Satan, mm. but then also kind of isn't. Mm. Because if you have a Marvel Satan, then you kind of have to have a Marvel God and it's all very, very complicated in terms of the the cosmic scope of the Marvel comics universe. It's fucking demented, uh, quite frankly, as indeed is the backstory of Wanda and Vision's kids. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a tangled web that is being weaved here. Yeah. Uh, and yes, there is, in the comic books, there is Wiccan and Speed and they are kids who were imbued with some part of Mephisto. I can't yep. remember exactly. Something but like yeah. That. yeah. Imbued with some part of his soul so that when, uh, in one reality, when they died, they didn't mm. actually die. They were just reabsorbed into his soul. <laughs> so there's a thing. Wow. That's a, that's a big thing. <laughs> but originally, whenever Wanda and Vision had kids in the 1980s and they lived a life of, uh, idyllic life in the suburbs, Hey, look at that. Uh, oh, by the way, Comixology had a really, really great sale on last week, and I forgot to tell you guys about it. Uh, there were loads of really great like comics that would be pertinent to this show that were on sale for like two quid. Now they're back up to full price again. So, whoops. Can, can we do a no and a rewind and then get <laughs> yes, that deal? I, I really wish we could. I really wish we could. But so in the 80s, whenever the kids were first born, you know, everything seemed hunky-dory and everything seemed totally fine. And then Agatha... Harkness, the character that some people suspect might be the Catherine Han character, mm-hmm. she realized that whenever Wanda and Vision were away from the Avengers mansion, the kids just kind of vanished into thin air. And she realized that the kids had actually been willed into reality by Wanda because she so desperately wanted to have kids. And so they weren't actually real. And this is just one of the things that kind of fractures Wanda's mind a little bit and leads. Mm. When, you know, when the death of you know the death of the kids in a certain reality leads Wanda's mind to fracture and leads to House of M and so on and so forth, it's all very mm. very complicated. But in this show, what I wanted to ask you guys is: Are these kids real, quote unquote? What's going to happen with them? Why is the pregnancy so accelerated? <laughs> Three questions for the price of one. More of a question, more of a comment than a question. It feels part of the construct to me. Like they feel like it's her extrapolation of her relationship with Vision, the perfect marriage, the perfect house, the perfect sitcom life. And of course, this is Brady Bunch inspired, this whole aesthetic of this episode. So mm. obviously children make absolute sense as being a part of this. So it feels to me like it's it's a part of the fantasy rather than their actual beings. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the the timing of the pregnancy is, you know, it's usually a bad sign in comics, certainly, if someone has a pregnancy that goes at an accelerated rate. Um, this is a, actually a general rule for fiction. If, if <laughs> yeah. your pregnancy precedes at a, at a rate significantly higher than one per nine months, <laughs> then 
you know, you're probably in trouble. And uh, I mean, look at Alien. So yeah. I, I, I do think there's a, a very real danger that we are looking at kids who are con completely constructed from her reality. Whether they can then fix their existence is a whole other question. There are cases in the Marvel Universe where beings have been willed into existence and have endured. So it's possible. But yeah, I think this heightens the stakes potentially because it could mean that now uh, the, the existence of Wanda's children, certainly as she sees it, depends on the, this, this reality continuing because mm. now potentially if the reality goes, so do her children. Uh -oh. I wonder if it partly potentially ties into this whole other question of how real everybody else is in this universe. Because say, if Vision's consciousness is somehow there, if the neighbours are real people who have been sucked into this reality, it seems like the potentially the reality itself is a construct, but the people within mm. it are real. And if she can't sort of create people, then are these babies real, but they're just not hers? Are there babies somewhere in this space that she is oh existing God, in, ben. but Whoa. they're not her babies. Because it seems like she potentially, unless, maybe maybe the neighbours aren't real, but if the neighbours are real, does that mean the babies are real too? Oh my not God. Not necessarily, I don't think. Because like, well, it depends. Well, I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> but like, okay, so Vision, you know, Vision, we are at home at least to the possibility that he is entirely created out of her memories. Mm -hmm. um, or, or yes, he could be some remnant of vision plugged into something that is controlling or, or fueling this break from reality in some fashion. But equally, I think the neighbours, there's some human meat there in some fashion. They're, they're, their unease suggests that there are human beings there. The fact that we've seen a limited number of them also suggests that there are human beings caught mm. up in this. Uh, so I'm kind, of, I'm kind of prepared to believe that at least many of them are real people pushed into these roles, but I don't think that necessarily means that the babies have to also be real babies pushed into the role of being her children. Because that would be really fucking complicated. <laughs> then you've got two mothers who both believe the babies are theirs and it, oh my god. <laughs> I did like with this whole episode, I really liked how it played on tropes of how pregnancy and birth plays out in TV shows. Like, say a character in a show gets pregnant, they will be pregnant for a handful of episodes at best. Mm. Um, the the birth will be very sanitised. I remember the, um, the, like, Claire's birth sequences on Lost. She just has a baby in, like, a couple of hours in the middle of the woods, no mess, totally fine. And <laughs> even that trope of um, when actors in series are pregnant, but the characters aren't. They will literally shoot them from the waist up and have them holding items in lots of scenes so that you can't see their bumps. I loved how it really played on all of those things uh, across this episode. Fun fact, the reason that they don't show pregnancy is that it used to be against the censorship laws. And it's still something that's that's um, highly uh, rated a lot of the time because um, they were worried, the censors were worried that if you showed pregnancy realistically, that it would put women off having kids. So... That's a thing, wow. which is 100% true. Yeah. So the patriarchy strikes Maybe again. They didn't watch one born every minute. A <laughs> couple of things I noticed about the neighbors this week. Do you mm -hmm. guys notice this? Phil. Okay. So Dottie's husband, Phil, yeah. who's played by David Lengel, appears twice in this episode. He appears once in the credit sequence, that lovely, boppy 1970s, one division theme tune. And he appears again 
for what I think is the best joke in the episode, which is when Dottie goes to these earrings make me look fat and the lights go out and then he delivers a perfectly, <laughs> perfectly timed, thank God. <laughs> but go back and look at this. Go frame by frame, if you will. He looks at the camera in both those appearances. So you think he's mysterious and in on something? Yeah, the moustache is a misdirection. He is Mephisto. <laughs> but he does. He looks at the camera in both of them. When he delivers a line, thank God, he then looks at the camera. And he looks at the camera in the credit sequence and it's really blink and you miss it. And also when Fission says to Wanda, you know, I think there's something wrong here, for a split second as well, he seems to glance at the camera. Yeah. Just for a split mm -hmm. second. So what the fuck is going it's on? It's that sense of <laughs> no breaking through the illusion, isn't it? And yeah. you had that moment in at the end of the first episode when the boss was choking and when it suddenly taps into vision, save him, vision, what are we mm -hmm. what's going on? At that moment, they were all looking straight into yeah. the camera as well. Yeah. So yeah. But but also even before that, in that scene, in the in the dinner scene, there's a bit where Wanda seems to look at the camera just on her own while that while she's being interrogated about when did you get married? Are you having kids? When are you having kids? Mm. You know, she seems so she's to looking for help, look isn't up. she? And she does mm. look like she's gazing at as if she's starting to sort of see through it all. Mm. But the the sort of the nature of the illusion, I think, comes into clearer focus in this one. Because up until now, quite rightly, and given her legacy in the comic, we've assumed that this is a construct from her, from her powers, from her sort of fractured mind, and this is constructed by her. Now the end of this, when uh, Monica Rambo gets unceremoniously dumped from the fantasy, and she's surrounded by all those sword agents and all the sword cars pull up, we see the perimeter of the fantasy, like the, almost like the wall of it, and what looked like big football lights illuminating it. And I was like, are those lights illuminating it? Are they a force field containing it? Or are they something projecting it? Like, is it actually something that's being imposed upon her, which I think one of you definitely brought up in episode one as well, mm. you know, rather than something that she's voluntarily or even subconsciously created by herself? Yeah. I'm still not clear on whether Sword or, you know, trying to contain something uh, mm. in an involuntary way, trying to manage something that already exists, or complete innocent bystanders who are just trying to keep everybody else out of the way. Yeah, you know, um, and and there there are, I mean, that shield almost looks like annihilation. You know, it looks like that encroaching mm -hmm. reality of another world that's very slowly spreading, but it is spreading. And mm. there's that kind of danger posed in that movie and that book if you've read them. But um, but it, it feels like something similar. That that shimmer in the air feels similarly creepy and weird. I like that it has, you see the real Westview, the welcome to Westview sign, that Westview is a place that she has essentially or has been co-opted for this fantasy. Mm. Did you see the sort of town tagline on that sign, home, it's where yeah. you make it's, it? Yeah, Which, exactly. Again, there's, there's so many clever lines in here that are just mm. like, yeah, have many, yeah. many meanings. The yeah. monkeys, daydream believer yes. is the song that plays. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was, that was subtle, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> then you have the commercial, the Hydrosoak commercial, escape to a world all your own where your problems float away. <laughs> when you want to go away, but you don't want to go anywhere. Uh, and of course, the Shakespeare quote that Vision brings up, all the world's a stage, mm. all the men and women merely players. Coincidence? I think not. Yes. What? No. <laughs> yes. yes. Entirely Maybe. coincidental. <laughs> what luck. While we're on the subject of uh, people's husbands in this show, my favourite husband remains Agnes's husband, Ralph, who is who we have not yet met but gets dunked on in every single episode by Agnes. I love Catherine Hahn's performance in this. Like, she's just so great. Yes. And uh, yeah, she found another reason to, uh, to dunk on her husband this week, which was uh, that he looks yeah. better in the dark. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Even when she's barely in the episode, she dunks on Ralph. Mm -hmm. I hope we never meet Ralph. I hope he's the equivalent of Maris mm -hmm. in this. 
That, that nice. or he looks like Chris Hemsworth or something just for <laughs> lols. I just think it'd be funny. Um, but uh, yeah, and and her what's her line about macrame? This macrame isn't going to isn't going to attach not, itself or something or no, hang itself. The, there is a word, but yeah, I, I enjoyed that she's doing macrame because it's the seventies. Mm-hmm. So it's what a, else? Do you it's do? a lost art. A macrame owl. <laughs> no, I'll no, see that before the end of this. Is it's it? Very bad. Is it bad? Oh, yeah, macrame it's very again. right now. Yeah, That's yeah. Look upsetting. on Instagram, man. It's all over the place. The the line that kind of really sort of like twisted my noggin in this was that bit where she's talking to where vision's talking to herb and agnes and uh, they're tr- they're talking about geraldine like she has no home mm. she's come here and there's something about that that really sort of strikes a chord and then there's a line she came here because we're because we're all and then agnes puts a stop to it and then and then the sitcom mask comes back up and she's like hey hi diddly ho and she's off yeah and it's, just like, and it's like we're all we're all what tell us tell us now what are you all we're all make-believe. We're all prisoners here. What are you? See, okay, so say, for example, Linda, Wanda has somehow flipped out and has, for whatever reason, created this reality. Mm-hmm. This episode alone shows how dangerous. We talked about last yeah. week how she's potentially the most powerful character in the MCU. And this episode alone shows how dangerous she is. And if you get on her wrong side, which mm-hmm. Geraldine does, Geraldine's lucky she wasn't just reduced to her component yes. parts, quite frankly, rather than flung through. Thankfully, she's got superpowers. Am I right? Am I right? Maybe that'll be revealed later on. <laughs> oh, why do we know she's Monica Rambo? Anyway, but, um, but uh, you know, but hey-ho. So Wanda's really, really dangerous. Perhaps is this some sort of containment mm. field as you're, you're right? Maybe something's gone wrong in this town and this is something that S.W.O.R.D. Um, are trying to to keep in. You know, that idea that these people are real people who've somehow been incorporated into this is potentially, yeah, is 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 plausible. As is the idea that they're all constructs of of Wanda's consciousness on some level. And Geraldine's different. Geraldine is potentially a sword employee who has somehow, perhaps because she can travel at near the speed of light, I don't know, get through that force field and into the world to try to somehow get some sort of message to Wanda or maybe to observe Wanda. Mm. But mm. maybe the act of going through the force field has reset her brain a little bit, which is why she's going along with all the sitcom goofery. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's it because I think she didn't show any sign last time of trying to get through to Wanda in particular. Like she didn't make friends with her, so that might have been a preparatory step, but there was no sense of her knowing something, having some urgent message to convey, having mm-hmm. a mission. Um, in what we saw of her last time, she seemed as much at sea, at least as much at sea as everybody else, and if anything, less sure of herself than everyone else. And it's only when Wanda's power is kind of slipping a little bit after the delivery mm. and 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 Wanda starts talking about her brother which you get the sense that she has not done mm-hmm. much before is that there's there's that moment that Geraldine suddenly realizes something and and it and it does seem to come to her as a sudden realization as a sudden piece of information that she didn't have a couple of minutes before because she was more thoroughly part of this part of the simulation at that point See, that was my question. Is she, is that something, as you said, that she suddenly realized, or was she trying to provoke a reaction? Was she trying to shock Wanda out of something? Because she seems to back down and shit herself very quickly. Yeah, she does. Yeah. And, but I wonder if that's, I wonder if that's, you know, the strength of the simulation, or I wonder if that's the recognition that she's kind of 
gone beyond her yeah, sitcom allowed <laughs> her sitcom allowed rules. Yeah, nobody mentions um, yeah. Pietro. That's a basic rule of the sitcom. But it's it's not it's even before that as well. Whereas you know, so she's she's playing Geraldine in this very very deliberately knowing take on a seventies on a sassy black woman from a nineteen seventies sitcom. Yeah, um, and then. When the stork is around, and again, we're talking about those classic sitcom conventions of one character is trying to shoo something away and the other character doesn't know about it and they're completely oblivious and that's played for lols. <laughs> but also here, it's really, really dangerous. Whenever the stork makes that noise, Geraldine seems to suddenly snap out of whatever is True. whatever whatever fugue state she's in. And she goes, suddenly the character, the characterization, Teona Paris is really, really good in this episode, as they all are, when Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany have to stop the sitcom chicanery and, you know, they can handle those tones, those tone switches and those mood switches really, really brilliantly. Mm. And Teona Paris does it here brilliantly. So Geraldine, whenever she snaps out of it, it's completely different. Talks in a completely different way. Her body language is completely different. Then she seems to know that she's... She becomes aware almost of her surroundings and becomes aware almost that she's in the middle of this with the person who's responsible for all this and who is, you know, as we said, really, really fucking powerful. And then suddenly has to backtrack and snap back into into character. But the Pietro stuff, the mention of Ultron, that's really interesting. What's your take on that? But I think that's what... I meant so the first one I think I think you're right she absolutely snaps that's kind of reflex danger reaction snapping her out of it yeah but she's immediately lulled back in and I don't think it's entirely put on when she's lulled back in I think there's an element of the program taking hold of snapping her again back in. Yeah. yeah because like the adrenaline rush is suppressed or dies down and then boom she's back in the program I think it's similar with Ultron. So when Wanda mentions Pietro I think again that's something that's powerful enough to kind of push cut through the programming that Wanda's or whoever has got on her and get to something. And she doesn't seem to know herself exactly what she's talking about. It's almost like she's she's searching for a word and she's like, yes, he was killed by Ultron. But it's almost like she doesn't have the context of what that means in turn. She doesn't quite seem to know any more than that. She's not standing there waiting for a reaction or saying, yes, he was killed by Ultron. And wait a second, you're an Avenger and I'm Monica Rambeau and I'm here. You know, there's no <laughs> sort of follow on sense of that mm. being a, a, a real breakthrough moment. It's more sense of grasping at something on the tip of her tongue, I felt like. I mean, when um, when Geraldine slash Monica um, realises that she said something that she can't really explain and that she realises she probably shouldn't have said and now she's very much in danger. Um, I like you talking about the way that characters switch and flip to different modes. I think you see that flip in, in Wonder as well. There's that really creepy mm. moment. You were talking about how mm -hmm. dangerous she is, where she says she had to rush home and she does quite a creepy little smirk that just for a second it's like she knows what she's done in flinging Geraldine yeah. out of this reality like she she is mm -hmm. conscious yeah. in that moment mm. of the fact that she is in control to an extent and has flung this character away from her mm -hmm. um physically and yeah there is a, a quite terrifying um undercurrent to that of of um the damage that she's able to inflict when she has the the conscious mind yeah. to do so yeah 
And and you see that terror in the other characters as well, the neighbours out on the lawn. Mm. I mean, yes. because that, that's funny as well in that it's playing on those sitcom tropes of the gossiping neighbours. Oh, people are always kind of, yeah, gossiping, catching up. And the gossip is that, of course, they have figured out that there is something really flipping weird happening in the neighbourhood and they think it's related to these two. So I, again, I love those layers of they're gossiping, but what they're gossiping about is the stuff that we want to know too, and that they're trying to figure out for themselves while not. I mean, what it's funny to an extent and tragic that Wonder and Vision are so wrapped up in trying not to be found out when people in the neighborhood know that something weird is going up, going on, and are trying to make sure that Wonder yes. and Vision don't find out that they know that <laughs> things aren't right either. But this is a really interesting episode as well in terms of the artifice of this world, because, you know, Vision is trying to tiptoe around and be, you know, present his Paul Bettany face to the world. Mm. But then when Wanda goes into labor, he just doesn't give a shit and just gives the yeah. doctor a super speed piggyback. <laughs> uh, could Vision always do super speed? I think if, you know, he, you know, or is this Wanda again, maybe doing the ideal version of Vision who has super speed? I don't feel that's a power we've seen. It's like when Qui-Gon and, and Obi-Wan just suddenly sip down that corridor in The yeah, Phantom Menace yeah. and then like you can never do, do it again. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, why? Oh, it takes ages to recharge the old Jedi batteries. Maybe it's the same with Vision, who is super speeding all over the place here. But also, if you look at the background, one Vision goes outside the house and has a chat with Herb, not Herb. And uh, the background behind Herb is basically just painted mm. and mm. it looks so fake. Yeah. And uh, so I wonder if the world itself is beginning to fall apart a little bit, the artifice of this world. I wonder if that's meant to reflect the sitcoms uh, that it reflects, you know, so whether mm. the, where the 50s one might be on a back lot that where they had a dedicated street like they do in Universal Studios and they would go out for walks on that street. By the 70s, maybe there's so much production going on and they're much more studio based. So they just have the painted, you know, backdrops. Mm -hmm. I mean, you see that right up until home improvement and stuff, don't you? couple of interesting things uh, about Wanda. So we know that she's going to be in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, and we've always presumed that it was going to be in a sort of heroic supporting role. What if she's, in some ways, the antagonist of that movie? Mm. I mean, I think that's oh, very impossible. Possible. Yeah, she, she, we know how dangerous she can be, how much power she possesses, that she's not necessarily particularly in control of those powers at the moment. And, I mean, we've seen that in other sort of comic book films before, you think of Jean Grey in Phoenix, that she is she is a heroic character and has an insane amount of power, but when but she finds herself in a place where she can't control those powers anymore and she is mm. physically and emotionally a different person. Um I do wonder if that's where where this is all heading and to what extent you do wonder. <laughs> no, I oh, keep no. saying the word wonder. <laughs> <laughs> I need to try and slip some more visions in here. <laughs> then Ben Stiller appears. <laughs> but yeah, to, and to what extent she is in control of the reality and how much that's going to damage our reality or cause certain realities to crash into each other. It's so interesting. I feel like this is actually a really great place to start phase four. Like this wasn't going to be mm. the start of phase four, but considering we know elements of different multiversey things that are on the periphery, this feels like a really exciting way into that and teasing out exactly how that's going to work. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it would be really interesting if she's essentially the antagonist. And that would kind of make potentially Monica Rambeau and or Vision himself in whatever to whatever degree he exists, the heroes of this show and not Wanda. They could be the ones who end up kind of calling her 
on all of this. There is also the possibility, and I don't want to spoil another show that we've recently done a spoiler special for, but there's also the possibility that the end of this show involves a choice for Wanda that she will not want to make, which is giving up Vision. To Luke Skywalker. To no. a lack of reality, <laughs> if you will. All oh, right, okay. Um, and I wonder if that's what I mean, that would then also not be good for her mental health, presumably, and might also send her on a dark mm. path. Not to talk about Luke Skywalker again too much. And once you start down that dark path, forever <laughs> will it dominate your destiny. Indeed. But I don't know. I think Ben's absolutely right. I think we could absolutely be seeing her go seriously off the rails. Um, and I don't mean the Irish fashion show when I say that. <laughs> Wow, that's a reference, Sony. She <laughs> might didn't get it. Honestly, Off the Rails was my mum's favourite TV show for the whole 90s and noughties, So I genuinely have never heard of that. What, please, no. please explain. We it's should do a like special show. for it. It's like the clothes show, but Irish. So just, you know, balaclavas and sacks. <laughs> oh my God, you self-hating racist son of a bitch. Wow. Fun on the things I could never have said on this podcast. <laughs> that's correct, James. That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> anywho, anywho, let's talk about Pietro. So we haven't really done that. We talked we talked around it a little bit, but what do you think the significance is of Pietro, of Wanda, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe remembering she has a, she had a brother? It feels like that hasn't really been dealt with. She must have stuffed that really deep down. I don't think they've ever really made yeah. much space in mm. the films for her to come to terms with, mm. with that loss. And I liked that when that came up, it was almost like she was remembering it for the first time, that it is something she's buried very deep down and is not yeah. part of this reality, this life that she wants to lead. And it was such a sad realisation. The fact that she remembers it in in fractures. I had uh, I had a twin. He he was my brother. And then she starts singing that sad Sokovian lullaby. It was, oh oh, my God. It was horrible. It was really upsetting. Was that written by Simo? I bet it was. <laughs> yeah. oh, that bastard. <laughs> Yeah, it, 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 I like the sort of metatextual nature of, oh yeah, I have a brother who died and that is awful and I haven't dealt with that either. It's like just piling up this yes. list of traumas that, that Wanda's endured over the whole MCU so far. Mm. Yeah, because that is such a departure from the canonical. I mean, there's so many departures from the canonical Wanda and Pietro storyline, not least the fact that, you know, Magneto is not their dad in this mm. in this um in this universe. But Quicksilver dying was such a huge thing. And it was, you know, it was a bait and switch by Joss Whedon in oh, Age of Ultron. You didn't see that coming. <laughs> it was the whole thing was a big bait and switch. Huge, big old bait and switch. I had already sort of, you know, ordered my wreath with Hawkeye written on it and had to change it. I'd sent flowers to his wife. It was really embarrassing. I had to ask for them back. In fairness, he did buy the farm. So we were right about that, you know. He did buy the farm. He did. But the person who kicked the bucket was Pietro. And he has unusually for the Marvel Cinematic Universe stayed dead. Mm. Now, I think I kept in last week my bullshit theory that we're going to see a version of Quicksilver in this series, and it may well be Evan Peters, you know, opening up that sort of timey-wimey, multiple-dimensional type x men type thing. But this, you know, <laughs> this is not an accident. They didn't just improvise Pietro's mention. So mm -hmm. do you think we will see some more manifestations of that? And, you know, maybe mm, I, I Quicksilver? I hope so. I do. I, I've I've wondered long and hard whether Aaron Taylor Johnson might turn up. I've wondered. I've wondered this a lot. <laughs> whether there'll be visions uh, whether of Pietro. Will, whether he will wander into the neighbourhoods. <laughs> oh, and uh, <laughs> uh, yes, 
he's fast, she's weird, and I want to see them both. I mean, I, I understand why they killed him off, especially um, that film and Days of Future Past were both happening around the same time. It was two Quicksilvers at once. Um, but yeah, I think that he had more potential. And I guess it plays into how much Wanda is in control and whether she can conjure visions of the dead, even if they're not there. So if she has somehow created a version of Vision that isn't real, but that she has sort That's of created, it, yeah. then there is no reason why now, mm-hmm. having remembered about Pietro, that he couldn't somehow materialise as well. I- I'd love to see him uh, come back and see, mm-hmm. especially because what this series has done so far in putting Wanda and Vision at the heart of this story and giving them so much more screen time together, their relationship has developed immeasurably compared to the amount of time that they are able to do that in the mainline MCU films. So bringing Pietro back as well would give him and Wander a lot more time to kind of show their dynamic and this life that they live together uh, and make that hit even harder. Yeah, I mean, there's this weird, I mean, the theory that Evan Peters is going to be in this is online. Is this coming from somewhere official or is this one of these things? It was one of those, uh, it was a casting, it was one of those things where a casting was leaked. Right. But nothing, very, very few things are officially ever confirmed by Marvel. Okay, if he's in the show... Um, is he definitely playing Quicksilver? No, no, absolutely not. This is complete mm. and utterly supposition and speculation on my part. Maybe he's playing mm. his character from Kick-Ass. He loves comics. He's the one who comes in with all the Vision <gasps> comics. <laughs> he says, oh my God. I know what's going on. Also, uh, I'm pretty sure your brother in this reality was Kick-Ass. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, yes, he was Kick-Ass. Thank oh you. And then he got God. killed. Oh, that would be that would be a twist in my melon, man. And then Clark Duke comes in as this MCU's real Quicksilver. And he's like, I'm the third person from Kick-Ass, but I'm the one who didn't go on to play Quicksilver <laughs> and everyone's like oh my god that's incredible wow but yeah. that's complicated but as as with Quicksilver I'm afraid I'm just putting one and one okay. and one together and that means more than plus two or something anyway whatever it the does. theme it tune at the beginning of three, the Chris. Yeah. Yes. yeah whatever the theme tune at the beginning of the episode is yeah because there's I mean there's there's theories that he's playing Mephisto or he's playing Speed or he's playing literally anyone really it's very Maybe unhelpful. Maybe he's playing himself, Evan Maybe. Peters as himself. Because <laughs> last week, Helen, I, when, I, when I edited the podcast and I mentioned my little theory and I mentioned Evan Peters and potentially bringing the mm. Fox X-Men universe Quicksilver into the MCU, you went, oh my God, there's about 30 X-Men characters I'd bring in ahead yes, of him. I agree. I thought, we, I thought everyone loved Quicksilver. Everyone loved that time in a bottle sequence from Days of Future Past and then less so the copycat sequence from Apocalypse. Yes, no, I, I liked that sequence very much. I, I didn't love the character as a character. I felt like I'd seen that kind of dude before and, uh, you know, mm. it was what it was. I, I, it didn't move me. But my bigger problem with it is genuinely this the fact that I don't feel any emotional connection between that Quicksilver and this Wanda. Mm, yeah. And I would need to be convinced of that, I suppose, for that kind of casting thing to work for me entirely. For me, it just feels like a slightly uncomfortable crossing of the streams in a way. Like I am intrigued. I'm intrigued by the potential like live action Spider-Verse stuff happening in, in, mm. in Spider-Man 3 that is much rumoured and I, I I even feel a bit uneasy about the bringing in Daredevil because I know that show was envisioned initially as part of the M- MCU, obviously off in a corner of, of Hell's Kitchen, but it never really felt tonally like it connected in the way that the MCU as a whole, even though it extends all these different tones and feelings and levels and characters, it does all feel like it's part of the same thing. And 
I don't know that the Fox X-Men films feel like part of that. I think I'd need convincing that it was a good idea to make that canon even within the multiverse related to the MCU rather than just, hey, look, these X-Men films were really fun for what they were. They Mm. did some great stuff. Mm. They were part of the reason that we get these big superhero films today. But I don't know how much I love the idea of elements of that being part of the MCU. And like Helen said, the the crossover being a version of Quicksilver who had some great sequences, but wasn't necessarily a brilliant character and who has no relation Mm. to this version of Wanda. I don't know. But hey, if anybody can sell me on this stuff, it's in Feige we trust, in Marvel we we trust, um, but I'm uh, so far not quite convinced. And mm. yeah, and then showrunner Jack Schaefer as well, we trust because yeah, we these, these three episodes have been fantastic so mm. far. Uh, and then the director, Matt Shackman as well, who again, this one looks completely different, but you know, clings very, very closely to the contours of 70s American sitcoms. Again, something I don't think we really grew up on the 70s American sitcoms I remember watching when I was a kid were things like Taxi, not things like the Brady Bunch or, or whatever. But um you know, I think I think if they do do that, I'm not so sure that it'll be a case of oh, here's a Pietro and Wanda immediately bonds with him because that Pietro is a very very different one. Mm. He's Peter for a start. He's American. Secondly, um, he is a dick. Third, that kind yeah. of tallies that yeah, Pietro is a dick. Yeah, uh, and he's. Um, either between 17 or 57 years old, depending on which movie <laughs> you look at as well. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of sort of, you know, I's to dot and T's to cross with, with that Pietro first, if they, if that's where they're going. Wonders reality bending powers would at least make sense of the crazy X-Men first class timeline from the 60s to the <laughs> oh, 70s God. to the 80s to the 90s. The only way they can explain oh, yeah. that is like, she's weird and she made it happen. <laughs> I do, yeah, that that timeline just still upsets me. I can't I can't deal with it. What was it? Um, oh, what do you call Alex Summers? What's his name? Havoc. 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 They're, they're yes. talking in the I think third film about Havoc. You know, just needing to live up to his 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 potential. And he's, at that point, he should be thirty six. Like you, you know, you should you should have kind of got there by now. Seriously, come on. I don't know. I'm I'm a, I'm a little older than thirty six, and I'm nowhere near my potential. Uh, or maybe I have realised my potential, which is even more sad. Um, let's have some listener questions before Chris has a breakdown and traps us all before in a, I have a breakdown. <laughs> traps you all in alternate reality by oh my god, here we are, four little boxes on the screen like the Brady Bunch. Oh no, it's Chris Vision. <laughs> Uh, here's a question from at Itchy Nads, uh, who mm. has sent in loads of questions to us over the years and still hasn't had a good old scratch. I recommend it. Oh, God. Might take the edge off. Just uh, get a cream, dude. <laughs> on the basis of episode three, is Wanda the big bad and everyone else agent sent in to keep her calm, observe, rescue the town's residents slash rescue her? We've discussed this. Itchy Nads says, is there even a villain? In this show, and that's that's interesting. Mm. There's no bad guy, quote unquote. We know, but we know Simo is in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, mm. and there's other people who might be baddies as well. Um, I don't know who the baddie is in Loki, mm. apart from Loki. I, I think this is more complex. I think she's both the heroine and the villain in this. Mm. I think the different sides. She's at war with her own subconscious. What? Yeah, I think that's absolutely potentially the case. I mean, look, we've discussed that there might be other forces at work. If Agnes is Agatha Harkness and is somehow manipulating all this, and obviously she might be a baddie. If Mephisto, as rumoured, is a factor, then obviously he's not usually a goodie. But um, but yeah, there's 100% the possibility that it's Wanda is both hero, uh, antagonist and protagonist, if you will. Indeed. 
Uh, at Sink Stoat asks two questions, which is cheeky, but the, he asked one question on Monday, uh, which was, leaving aside Mrs. Brown's boys, what British sitcom would the team like to see Wanda inject Vision and herself into? Peep show. Straight away peep show. <laughs> oh, peep I, show. I, want, <laughs> I want to hear Vision's horribly dark thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. Wow. Bring, especially just just bring in super hands. You don't even have to explain it. Just oh bring in God. super hands. Yeah. And give him powers, so he actually is super hands. Try, yes, he's <laughs> he's using his powers to try and sell crack to Wanda. Very Moorish crack. Wouldn't it be amazing <laughs> to have the, the, the lion crack is awfully Moorish in the in Marvel Disney. Cinematic Universe? Yeah. I would love that. For some reason, the one that's coming to mind is Black Books. Um, so basically, huh. they'd be hanging out in a bookshop drunk. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why I want to see that, but it sounds fun. Yeah, absolutely. Jimbo, with your oh. with your encyclopedic knowledge of British sitcoms. Oh, yes, British I do sitcoms so are them. sitcoms that are made and set in Britain. I see what you're saying. Can they be set in space? Because Red Dwarf is, of course, a British sitcom, and That's I'd very much like to see them appear in Red that. Dwarf. That could Smack work. heads all around. Vision is a perfect rimmer. <laughs> Excuse you? Wow. That's that's knowledge that's knowledge I didn't have. Wow. <laughs> well we, we discussed last week he can grow his own cock, so oh why my not? God. Oh good lord. He's um, what? Horny vision is back. Horny vision horny vision wasn't that horny this week, but um He was not. No. He was being considerate of his heavily increasingly heavily pregnant wife. This is true. This is very, very true. Red Dwarf, absolutely. Red Dwarf. It's it's already kind of the Vicar of Dibley, which, to be honest, is like a <laughs> 70s sitcom in 90s rural England. So, you the know. Rural the rural juror. The rural juror. Rural so, juror. Yeah, I think Wanda would make a lovely vicar. I think that would be great. <laughs> I, I'm going to go for Only Fools and Horses. Oh, only because Vision, Bethany is already much taller mm-hmm. than... Elizabeth Olsen, so he'd be a perfect Rodney. She'd be a great Dell boy. And if they can recreate that classic moment where they run over the hill dressed as Batman and Robin, the levels of meta <laughs> reference there would just blow people's heads apart. My only note with that casting is I think he'd be better at falling through a bar than she would. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my only that's my only caveat about that whole idea, because otherwise it sounds great. Play it cool, Fizz, play it cool, and then boom. <laughs> I'd also like to see the MCU go to Peckham. I just want to see what would happen. <laughs> I mean, they've already been to Greenwich, so, you know, yeah. South East London represents. If it comes to that, they could always jump into Chuckle Vision. <laughs> oh, yes. to me, to you, been a real, to me, to you. There's been a real lack of to me, to you so far in this, but maybe that will happen over the next few weeks. Uh, the other question from Sink Stoat was, uh, we discussed that this last week, uh, given that Wanda decimated mutants in the comics House of M, is, are they going to turn that on its head and have her introduce mutants to the MCU? Well, you've been suggesting that's a possibility ever ever since. Uh, obviously, I'd like to make clear as a grammar Nazi that and no other kind of Nazi, but Nazis generally bad. Um, <laughs> but I'd like to make clear, decimate is not what she did because decimate is one in ten, one and in she ten. actually took out nine in ten mutants mm-hmm. when she said no more mutants. So, uh, so that is technically incorrect. Although it's- they do call it that, though, don't they? And then in the MCU, they refer to the snap as the decimation, but Thanos took but 50%. Also, I mean, also, I have to say, it's one of these awful things. You know how know, people are literally. stupid, they change the definitions of words because people misuse it so much. Like literally no longer means literally because literally people no were misusing literally. no longer means literally because irony is dead because in people didn't James, understand how to use the word. You have literally used literally that way for all the time I've known you. So, <laughs> this is literally you know, true, you know, I think you, you <laughs> underestimate how literally I do things, but, uh, but yeah, no, decimate has been redefined. 
coined no. as kill, destroy, or remove a large portion of, as opposed to the traditional Roman. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm Maybe. terrified. I know I've said this in the regular podcast, but I'm terrified that this is going to happen to unctuous. I'm, I'm terrified that because chefs use it and they think it's a good thing that their dishes are unctuous when it actually is a bad thing because it means oily and unpleasant, that the Oxford English Dictionary is going to change the definition of unctuous, which is going to make me mad. But if someone... Chris, they're yeah. descriptivists, not prescriptivists at the LED. <laughs> you know, you got to get with your grammar wars, dude. This is true. But if someone makes would of, should of, and could of mm. canon, then I'm fucking, yeah, that's honestly. Fair. That's fair. At that, that point, we riot. I'm kicking off. I'm yeah. kicking the off. The absolute worst one is people that say addicting instead of addictive. Like, this show is really addicting or is really addicting me. People, people write I've never that. heard that before. This, this oh, is I've a thing that, that people Oof. say slash write. Is this, and it is, is this and what makes you hear from your millennial crawl. friends? Is that- <laughs> no, don't blame this on the millennials. <laughs> this isn't a millennial issue. <laughs> The one that the one that gets me is actually American like cooking shows and and a lot of American reality TV. It's people not using adverbs, so it's like, oh, I think I did really good. Oh. You did well. That's a that's a thirty rock joke. Superman go- does good. You're doing well. <laughs> right, exactly. Thirty rock, as in all things, as in many things, was right. Anyway, enough grammar pedantry. What was the question? I have no idea. The question is from at Katie underscore Hammond zero one. Uh, the word and logo for Hydra has been in each episode so far. Has it? It was the watch. It was the bubble bath. I didn't spot was it, it on the first one. Was it in episode one? I didn't spot it. I don't remember it in the first one, no. Maybe it was, Katie. You can tell us where it was. Uh, and we've looked over that uh, with a fine tooth comb. <laughs> it, uh, the process of going frame by frame is addicting to me. Um, no. no. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that Hydra are involved with this. I don't think they are. I think Hydra, as we talked about in last week's show, is just a very very big part of Wanda's past and her past traumas Mm -hmm. and the adverts and the commercials would seem to be manifestations of that although I have another theory I wanted to run past you guys real quick okay Geraldine so the whole point of the stork thing right so it's a classic sitcom thing where Geraldine's just rabbiting in a way 10 to the dozen and there's a stork behind her and Wanda's trying to you know make sure she doesn't see the stork so you would think that what she's saying is just placeholder dialogue right Mm -hmm. but is it because when i watched this i've seen this episode three times when i watched it for the third time i had the subtitles on so do you know have you noticed what geraldine is talking about in that moment no i was i was too distracted by her incredible fish trousers Mm, I mean, those great. fish trousers are great. There's so much fashion in this show that I want. Uh, it would be on that great Irish show. Um, what Off was it called, rails. Helen? Off the rails. Oh, Off the rails. Welcome to Off the rails. This week we have fish trousers and a great balaclava that also doubles as a winter coat. So it They're does. actually from Dublin, not Belfast, but you know. <laughs> oh, are they? Okay, yeah. well, Jesus. Well, my apologies. <laughs> my apologies to all uh, for everything. But anyway, so she's talking about her boss right they're trying to come up with an advertising slogan Mm -hmm. so she works for an advertising agency so Mm -hmm. i'm wondering if geraldine because slash monica as part of her sword duties they're trying remember i said last week that the red light and the toaster was maybe trying to get communicate some sort of message to wanda Mm -hmm. maybe or reset her in some way i wonder if the adverts are trying to do something to Wanda's subliminal suggestions, perhaps, that she is in a world that, you know, she's conjured up, you know, escaped a world on your own, that sort of thing. So 
and maybe they're beaming the adverts in as with John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness as a way of trying to break up the reality of the world. Maybe. In the same way they're trying to broadcast on the radio in the world as well. Yes, precisely. I can dig so, it. She actually even says the slogan that they came up with. I'd be fascinated to see whether we see this in a future commercial break, right? So she talks about a product called Gravity O's, and the slogan is launch into your day the right way. And that's Which is not a great slogan, but you know, hey, <laughs> hey, it was the 70s. So we might we see Gravity O's in some way. Hmm. Unless it refers to her getting launched out of the world <laughs> a little bit later. <laughs> Perhaps. All right, just a couple of last ones. Uh, at Jack Dylan at JD Woo uh, talks about Quicksilver. He says he could be the wacky sitcom uncle. <laughs> sure, I'm here for it. Yeah, uh, I think so. Absolutely, make it happen. Uh, oh, actually, you know what, guys? I thought has just occurred to me. All right, so in this episode, as we discussed. Vision suddenly has super speed and nobody bats an eyelid, right? They just act as if he's always at super speed. Well, I've been racking my brains during this and I'm pretty sure he's never had super speed. Like, ever. Maybe in the comics, I'm not entirely sure, but certainly not in the MCU. He can fly. He has super strength to an extent. He can control his density, obviously, so he can phase through things or become really, really solid and really heavy, but never super speed. However, who do we know who was also important to Wanda, who also died, and who did have super speed? Pietro, a.k.a. Quicksilver. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, I'm saying, I think, just maybe, that this means that this vision is, as we've discussed, entirely a creation of Wanda's, and then in her somewhat addled condition, she somehow imbued him with characteristics or abilities that her brother possessed. And if that's the case, and she has brought Vision back as a construct, then it stands to reason maybe she might be able to do the same with Pietro, or a version of Pietro. Maybe. That's possible, yeah. Food for thought. Food for thought. We shall see what happens. Anyway, let's have another question. At Wood of Kings asks, is this taking place after Endgame or is it happening between Age of Ultron and Infinity War? It's after Endgame because yeah. Vision's dead. Uh, and even though that hasn't been made explicitly clear in the show yet, it was made fairly explicitly clear in the trailer for the show when Agnes says to Vision, you're dead. So I think <laughs> that means it happens. Uh, it happens. Well, certainly happens after Infinity War uh, because obviously Wanda was snapped in Infinity War. It therefore must be taking place after Endgame as well. Mm. Okay, question for the WandaVision team. Uh, that's us, I guess. Add Druid ACT. Uh, sorry, I went American. Add Druid A said T. Fuck. 
asks, uh, I don't know if it's been asked or pointed out yet, but I noticed that the hexagon shape shows up a lot at the end of the episode as it's closing out in their faces. It's a hexagon every week. There are six stars around the moon in that shape in episode two's Bewitched intro. And then, of course, the beekeeper. Is this hinting that Wanda is the queen bee and she's using Hex everyone's powers. drones? <laughs> the Hexmen. Um, <laughs> Maybe she's just a really big fan of the Giant's Causeway. I mean, but uh, but yeah, that's, I mean, it's a solid... Solid theory, I guess. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a darn good theory. Um, also, did we talk about it in this last week's show? The way that the 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 shape of the Mind Stone keeps coming into it as well. So mm. you you saw it on Vision's tie in episode one, then the magic cabinet in episode two. I didn't really see it in episode three, but uh, I wasn't looking out uh, for it microscopically speaking. Uh, huh. Here's at Cantona's Ghost, a regular question asker on these shows. Is it possible Wanda was initially working with S.W.O.R.D. to recreate Vision and the pocket universe was created as a defence mechanism when S.W.O.R.D. tried to shut it down before or after an unknown third party incursion? I still think there's something behind this. I still mm. think there is a there is a bad guy in the wings. But um, this would explain why Wanda is always reactive to associates of S.W.O.R.D. and apprehensive to other inquiring strangers. Yeah, I think it's... A de- Look, I'm, I'm not... I think it's an interesting possibility that Wanda is a ba- a baddie, if you like, in this or in or going forward. But I don't think if that is the case that she is kind of completely alone in that. I think someone might have sparked it. I think someone's maybe playing on her emotions to what degree she bears responsibility. We can definitely have a good old legal discussion about afterwards. But um, but I don't know that she's entirely entirely independently in control of this let's say i think we're still trying to figure out what sword is and what it does and mm. what that literally means um in the i know there's a, a a description of it from the comics but we talked about that the w instead of sentient worlds might be sentient weapons and if that's the case how does that relate to what wanda's doing so i think there's there's a lot up in the air about sword and whether that is kind of cooperating with Wanda or antagonistic to Wanda. I think at the moment mm. it's just we like we said last week, maybe she sees them through an antagonistic lens because they are potentially trying to break her out of this fantasy that she wants to stay in. Whether they're actually a threat in the real world or not, um, kind of remains to be seen. But we we know we have a good understanding at this point of of who SHIELD are and what SHIELD does and but I, yeah, for me at the moment, Sword is still other than that logo and that, yeah, that is an acronym of some kind. But I don't know what that's yeah. leading towards. But the other thing is, of course, Wanda would know that Shield was infiltrated by Hydra, mm. who tortured her. Um, she may, even if Sword are ostensible good guys, she may not instinctively immediately trust them, even if they were yeah. working with her and on her side and everything else. Um, and if they are sentient weapon, you know, overseers, then that immediately actually puts them on the other side of civil war from her, mm. really. Yeah. So there's 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 a lot of potential there for tension, even if everyone's trying to do the right thing, which we don't know about yet. Are the Sokovian Accords still in place in this world? You think they would let them off? You know, what was the whole saving <laughs> the whole universe thing and everything? It's a good question, actually, because we haven't really revisited them. Well, we haven't had a chance because, you know, um, phase four hasn't really started yet. But I wonder about that going forward because I wonder if, you know, Spider-Man kept his identity secret and you've got to assume that, you know, Tony Stark covered up for him. And that's about all we've seen post-Endgame so far. Mm. Um, 
with everyone else. I mean, if we're getting into the Eternals, are they going to wait around for government approval? It kind of seems unlikely. Yeah. I, so, mm. yeah, I don't know. I, I wonder if that's something that will come into play more in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Obviously, that's very much part of that mm. world and the bureau bureaucracy yeah. and the politics behind um, accountability and all of those things feels like it's going to come more into play there. I think that's an interesting kind of crossover. This seems like a very different show, WandaVision, compared to what Falcon and Winter Soldier is going to be doing. But maybe something like S.W.O.R.D. is going to be a shared element between the two of them. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I wonder, in terms of S.W.O.R.D. and their function in the show, I wonder if this might be a way. We know that the TVA, uh, for example, are going to be introduced in, in Loki. I wonder whether we might get S.W.O.R.D.'s legendary comic book uh, antagonist, this arrival organization, uh, called the Powerfully Enhanced Network. We might finally find out whether Pen is mightier than Sword. I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm no. so sorry. I've spent the last five minutes trying to come up with that. And <laughs> Do you know what, though? Comic books are so daft that I was like, is that a real thing? I could have believed. <laughs> I, I, could, I, couldn't, I couldn't go through with it. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Anyway. That's where you drew the line? <laughs> he, he drew the line with Pen. Wow. Uh, uh, not Rimmer, no Pen. That no, was that Rimmer. was the little line. Yeah, okay. That was the line. No, it was because I just couldn't. I couldn't make it sing. And you know me, I like to make things sing. Um, one last question from Ad Scott M. I love that the stakes are getting higher and higher each episode. It feels like this is a one and done series for Marvel, unlike something like Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which has the potential for multiple seasons. Hmm. Uh, I wanted to discuss that because I don't think that there's going to be multiple seasons of many of these shows. I agree. Yeah, I th and I think that's a good thing. I think that allows, that is what will allow the MCU, as in cinematic, to build these shows in in between their cinema releases. It, it was it's the schedule for Agents of Shield that is completely unsustainable with, uh, you know, with a film release schedule because that was obviously a network show as well. I know the release model is different, but it's having these self-contained seasons that can address specific things each time that allows mm -hmm. you to build that into your film planning. I think I think it, that's absolutely right. I think there may be some ones like, as you say, Falcon and the Winter Soldier that, that run on. Mm. I don't see that happening for this. I don't think I see it happening for Loki. I don't think. No. Of course, we've seen nothing of it yet, so it's really <laughs> no. hard to say. Hmm. Um, We're saying definitively, no. Yeah, it's not going <laughs> to. No. no. Never. No. Um, but whereas other things, you know, She-Hulk or something might run longer. But mm -hmm. I, I do think that it's good to have that flexibility. And it's and even if we complain, I think the, the franchise here is Marvel. The franchise is not necessarily sort of WandaVision per se. Yeah. But this is a mystery box show, isn't it? And like once the mystery mm -hmm. is revealed, unless they invent a new one, it feels like it will have run its course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a good thing. Yeah. It is. Because so many TV shows just run themselves at the ground trying to repeat the trick. And God, wouldn't it be great if just some TV shows have been one season, two seasons, and then just stopped? Yeah. But, you know, maybe we'll see what happens to this. But I also think that perhaps part of Marvel's pitch to get big name movie star actors to do things like this, you know, it's just, you say to Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen and Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan and Tom Hiddleston and Oscar Isaac, people like that, you go, yeah, it's TV, but it's just one season. Mm. So you're not going to have to do that commitment where you're doing six seasons, you know, and you have to set aside a huge part of your life and your career for this. No, I think that's a big thing. And the other thing I think is possible with this show um, and with this model of releasing is the other possibility is that we don't get a one division season two next year, but we do get it in five years. You know, they could come back to some of these ideas 
in the next phase rather than the next TV season. And that's also kind of interesting. I'm not saying it's likely, I don't think it is in this case, but it's it's out there as a possibility because they mm. don't have to follow any kind of traditional release schedule with these. And that's really cool. Indeedly, Beadly. And I think on that note, that's it for the listener questions. I'm just going to say real quick, quick fire, three things I noticed about this episode. Did you notice about this, this folks? Uh, Fission says, what the dickens? which makes this canonically the second thing in the MCU to feature that phrase. Can anyone name the first one? It is, of course, Randall Park as Agent Wu in the greatest Marvel Cinematic Universe (laughs) movie, Ant-Man and the Wasp and Sonny Birch. Uh, And Agent Wu's in this. So I wonder if that's a deliberate Uh... connection. What the dickens? Uh, we haven't mentioned the theme songs mm-hmm. yet, which are fantastic. I really, really love this week's. So I thought it was great. Let's talk about them in next week, um, next week's show as well. Did anyone notice that the cans of paint with which Wanda and Vision were redecorating the baby's yes. room? Simza. Yes. He's the storyboard artist, isn't he? Jeremy Simza. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's even that works in two levels. I thought yeah. Sims er. Sims, uh, yeah, it's no, we think, to the fact that it's a simulation. Yeah, no, I think it's a, I think it's a crew in joke rather than a mythology. In oh, joke. Well, fuck that then. Honestly. <laughs> hey, hey. I, I thought it'd been really clever, really clever. It was just an in joke, not quite clever <laughs> enough. <laughs> yes, damn you, Simser, you've made an enemy for life on this day. Oh no. Uh, and is there anything else that I had noticed that was really, really clever and cool? Um, no. Okay. We're done. <laughs> we are done here. Uh, on that on that note, um, that powerful note. That is it for this week's WandaVision spoiler special. Join us next week for more Wanda and Vision related fun when maybe we actually finally will get to meet the twins. And this time I do mean Vision's balls. No. Um, shiny red eggs. I bet they're shiny red eggs. <laughs> oh boy. You have speculated about this way too much, all of you. Do you think one's bigger than the other? Maybe they fluctuate. Anyway, (laughs) maybe they do. It's like binary. Zero, one, zero, one. I don't know. Anyway, uh, thank you so much to my three colleagues of such lethal cunning. They will be back. That is a threat uh, on next week's episode. We haven't seen next week's episode. We haven't seen next week's episode. That's very true. We should point that out, that James, Helen and myself had seen this episode last week and we were trying desperately to tiptoe around it. Ben hadn't because he is pure and chaste and wants to remain pure and innocent going into each of these episodes. But that is it. That's as far as I'm aware, that is it in terms of press previews, folks. So as of next week, we're going to be the same boat as everyone else getting up at eight in the fucking morning to watch WandaVision. But you know what? I'm having such a great time. I'm really, really looking forward to it. And on that note, it is goodbye, of course, from Look Who's Storkin. That's his squadcast name this week. Ben Travis. Next week, it's going to be Let's Talk More Robo Balls. No. <laughs> please, please let that not be the case. No. Look, we don't know what episode four is going to bring. That could be part of this show. Oh, yeah. It what could. do you think it is? 80s? Mm. We've seen we've seen Wanda in frizzy-haired 80s style, so or are they going to stay in the 70s? Be- WandaVision meets Blackadder. That's what I want it to be. <laughs> yes. Make it happen. The one sitcom you like. Oh. oh. Just imagine. Just yeah. imagine. It kind of is Blackadder. Well, Vision has a cunning plan. <laughs> I mean, it's hopping through the eras just like Blackadder did. It's true. It's it is. true. And yeah. maybe they'll all die at the end. <gasps> oh, my God. Dark? Yeah. 
Um, anyway, it is goodbye from Legend of the Sword himself, James Dyer. Goodbye, Chris. I'm going to go and have a nice Hydra Soak bubble bath. <laughs> you motherfucker. I have to rewrite my end. Oh, is that what you had at the end? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, that's fine. Totally fine. Totally fine, Jimbo. It's fine. We can roll with the punches. If What is life if not improv, right? I'm going to yes and my way out of this. Um, quickly, Helen, says things for a good five minutes. Can you talk for a good five minutes while I come up with a, a last line? Because it is goodbye from Sure Jan. Helen O'Hara. I mean, that was all I could come up with in terms of references to the Brady Bunch because I haven't really watched the Brady Bunch. Uh, so, you know, I was limited in what I could say about it. The um, famous I watched meme. The Brady, yeah, it's a famous meme. It's very useful against men's rights activists who are yeah. incredibly offended by being patronised. So I enjoy patronising <laughs> them at every opportunity. Um yeah, so uh that that's all I know about the Brady Bunch. Plus I saw the film uh, once it was, you know, oh un- God, un- rated again. She, you were asking for, for more time, right? She's talking for five minutes. It's great. Are you ready? Do you, no, 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 no. Keep stop? going, keep going. Keep going. No, 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 no. Keep talking about the Brady Bunch. I don't really have much more to say. I mean, it was interesting though. Was it the Brady Bunch sequel? Was it the Brady Bunch sequel that was a very Brady sequel? That's right. Yes. That became a massive ratings kerfuffle because- Nunchucks. Nunchucks are in it. That's right. of the BBSC, yes. Which were famously removed from Enter the Dragon and turned into a stick on the front cover. Crazy. So one stick is okay, but two sticks connected by a chain, not okay. Yeah, that's yeah, not Teenage okay. Yeah, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles also had a massive problem with it. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Because Michelangelo is, uh, you know, all about the nunchucks. Absolutely. You can't get Are you impressed them. that I know my turtles? I am a little bit impressed, I will be honest. <laughs> I could not tell you off the top of my head which... I think Donatello had the staff, right? Yeah, yeah he had a big old stick. Wh- okay. Which one is obsessed big with pizza? Stick. Are they all obsessed with pizza? They're all, but Michelangelo all more than the pizza. others, but they're all obsessed with pizza. Yeah. Do you know the yeah. colours of the turtles? Donatello was purple. Yes. It's possible I'm revealing my favourite. Leonardo was blue. No one's favourite was Donatello. Donatello's the, the sensible one. Of course he's my favourite. <laughs> um, was Leonardo blue? Yes. Uh, yes. He had a sword. Raphael was red and had size. Yeah. Is there and a then, green? So then, no, orange. And then orange. was yeah. Michelangelo. Yeah. Okay. So orange, yellowy Michelangelo with the nunchucks. They've got the same name as, as artists. What? Whoa. This is wow. a, this no is news way. To me. Oh, you cracked this wide open, Chris. <laughs> wow. Okay. I've actually been to the academia to see the David by Michelangelo. It's pretty cool. I recommend really? it. Really? Mm. Cowabunga, dude. <laughs> Are you ready now? Can we stop? I'm ready. I'm oh, ready. I, I, have a, I have a sign-off line. I have a sign-off. <laughs> <clears throat> and it's goodbye from me, a fizz called Wanda. Do you like that? Do you uh-huh. like it? No, yeah. not, that's not my sign-off line. That's my squadcast sure. name. I'm yeah. literally telling people. But it's a good name. It's clever. Yes, it is. I, I, yes, I like yes, it. Fucking idiots. I swear to Christ, I'm slumming no, we, with you guys. We all, I think slumming we all, it. We all got noticed it, we it smiled earlier and, and we're impressed. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> he smiled. He smiled, but you didn't compliment me out loud, did you? You didn't say, Chris, you're a fucking genius. Anyway, it's goodbye for me, a fizz called Wanda. I'm off to have a nice bowl of gravity O's. Launch good. into your day the right way. Oh, it's good. It's so natural. That's what it's sells it. Gold. Yeah. Thank you for Love listening. It. See you next week. <laughs> bye bye.